What are emotions? It's an easy question to ask and it's a very difficult one to answer. Are all emotions good? How do they affect us? How do we allow them to affect us? What are we doing in this equation? Carolyn Thomas answers all these questions this week on Lifehouse Church's weekly sermon podcast and more. Our emotions can play real havoc with us if we're not careful, but at the same time, if we, if we bottle them up completely and try to pretend our emotional problems don't exist, we are similarly shortchanged. There's a balance here that Carolyn puts very well. I know every person who listens will gain revelation from this, so listen carefully. As always, check out www.life-house.net for more Lifehouse resources. Thanks for listening. Here's Carolyn. I enjoyed Anna praying before and saying, um, about being uncomfortable today, because this is blunt even for me. But that's all right, because the Holy Spirit will take the words he gave me, the words, and he'll deliver them in the way that he wants. So just pray you'll, if there's conviction to be received, that you'll recognize it's conviction and receive it with joy and gladness, because the Lord sends conviction to bring us closer to him. Last week, Anna made a statement where she said that mystery in the worldview means to conceal, but in the word of God, it means a revelation of truth. And I pray that that's what you're going to leave here with today, a revelation of truth. I'm going to talk about a subject that's not mentioned often enough, and that's the topic of emotions. And I'm also going to briefly define for you the term inner healing. There's a lot of, um, I'm going to try and demystify that and just simply explain to you what it is. There's a lot of It's not really mystery around it, but a lot of people don't know what it is, and so they get scared off, and it's not scary at all. Right, as my starting point, I'm going to lay a platform for you, so please just bear with me. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'd like to just read you an extract from Charles Craft's book, Two Hours to Freedom. Just listen really carefully. Jesus said that he came that we might have life, life in all its fullness or abundance. And many have responded to Jesus' invitation and have gained eternal life through faith in him. But the in all its fullness part escapes them. That is because fullness or abundance requires freedom. And for most people, gaining freedom is a step beyond the salvation step. When we come to Christ, the result is a new being or new creature. This newness then is a transformation of our inmost being, the part of us that we call our spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in this part of us and that is wonderful. We're saved for time and for eternity. That is the good news, but there's bad news as well. We've got four other parts that may not be transformed when we come to Christ. Most of us still have to fight to bring about transformation in our body, mind, emotions and will. And these are the parts where such things as sin, hurts, unchristian reactions and habits dwell even after we come to Christ. And these parts, although they may undergo some change, rarely get transformed to the same extent as our spirit does when we turn to Christ. And unfortunately, this kind of dampened Christian experience is so pervasive amongst Christians that it's considered normal. And this is the difference between discipleship and conversion. I'm just going to put up a slide for you. Stacey, can you just throw that slide up, please? It's not as clear as what I'd hoped, but it's just daylight, so hopefully you can see. 
for the people I have to remember to explain for the podcast, I've got a slide up there of what I've called Mr. Wild and Mr. Christian, so one looking a bit scruffier than the other, but what it's essentially showing you is body, soul, and spirit, the soul being the bigger ring on the outside, and then the spirit being the smaller ring inside. So when we accept Christ, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit. But do you notice that there's, other than the one looking a little bit maybe more cleaned up, there's not really a big difference. Those little splotches that you see. When we grow up, we receive wounds and we learn and develop behavior patterns and reactions to people in the world around us based on our little protection modes that we put into place. And I'm doing protection in inverted commas because we think these behaviors are going to protect us, but they actually don't. And the problem is that they're faulty because they're responses to hurts and lies which we've received. But nevertheless, they still determine how we interact and respond to the world and people around us. Now, my point in showing you that slide is to say that when people come to Christ, they still have all of their issues and behavior patterns that they've lived by their whole lives. And we need to realize that these ways are no longer acceptable and are actually sinful. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to dismantle and strip away our strongholds. Those are your patterns of wrong thinking and your perceived protections. And too many Christians have been sitting for years and years in an enablement environment where sadly the only difference between them and the world is that their ultimate destination has changed. Okay, they might look a little bit more cleaned up on the outside, but the behavior hasn't changed. And the longer this goes on, the more entrenched they become in their ungodly attitudes and behaviors that they've lived by their whole life. And I believe the reason for that is that we have this situation is because many people are converted, but they're not discipled. And far too many, for far too many, nothing really changes. And it might be initially perhaps because they are unaware of this next scripture, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me repeat that last phrase because that's the difference between conversion and discipleship. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you realize what that's actually saying? It's saying it's not a one-step process or complete in one step at acceptance of Christ. Gaining freedom is a step beyond the salvation step. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to access our hurts and wounds. Allow him in to begin dismantling our strongholds and defenses. It's going to be a lifelong process. But if you don't do that, You can sit in a church for 40 years and that's what you look like. Nothing has changed. All right, Stace, you can take that off, thanks. Listen to this from Charles Craft as well. When hurt, our response is often to suppress the emotion and bandage the wound so that no one can see it. But when a wound has not been cleaned, it festers. As time passes, the bandage begins to leak the infection. This allows the experiences that took place years ago to influence our present life. Negative experiences are especially strong in their ability to impact a person's physical, emotional, and spiritual health. And if you've got any doubt of that, think, can any of you remember, what do you remember most, the negative things people have said to you throughout your life or the positive? 
everybody's got a teacher or an authority figure or someone that can remember clearly a negative statement, haven't they? All right? And you would remember that far more than the positive. So negative ex experiences are strong in the ability to impact you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And they normally affect your relationships, your relationship with God, with yourself, how you perceive yourself, and with others in a major way. And that's really where the problem comes in. Now, Christians get disappointed. They come to Jesus, and they go on, and they wonder why nothing has changed, why others seem to be growing more than they are. And that's why it's so crucial that you ensure that you're in a discipleship environment where you're constantly challenged to apply the word to your life, to work on your character, to work or to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your character, your attitudes and your behavior. Because that is what it means to continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And I want you to have an attitude shift today if you need one. Okay, I'm not saying everybody needs one, everyone here, but if you do need one, you need to have a shift in your attitude where you realize that people are actually here to help you grow. And that that might from time to time involve course corrections. And you need to be open enough to be vulnerable to allow someone to speak straight into your life and to walk through issues where you might need help. That's what part of being a discipleship environment means. Godly men and women around you, helping you to grow by holding up the word, holding up that word of life. Having the courage to challenge you where necessary without receiving an attitude of, how dare you, how dare you talk to me like that? Okay, and I'm speaking from experience, that's what we get sometimes. Not here, of course, but, you know, in the past. But with all love and respect, let me tell you how I dare. I dare, David dares, the, Lifehouse, the leadership um, of Lifehouse here dare, because we take the following scripture very seriously. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And you know what? That statement in that, in that um, verse, they keep watch over you as, one who, as those who must give an account. Let me tell you, that verse terrifies me far more than any accusation or flack that I will get from someone that I've had to speak into. Um, we've, um, when we were at the six-day school at LL, we had um, the guy teaching us, told a story. His name's Otto Bixler, and he'll be coming up in March, actually, to teach us, which will be awesome. He, um, he ran his own company, very successful company. It was a consultant company, I think, for engineering firms and things. And what had happened was that he was going, he had an employee, and he was going on holiday, and he'd had a whole lot of um, consulting report backs and letters that needed to go out to the employees. And so it was just before the Christmas holidays, so he had all the letters ready, and he asked his employee, told him to just sign them and post them out over the holidays. Anyway, he came back from the holidays, and the guy had posted the letters up, but he'd altered them slightly, and that had some repercussions on the business. So Otto said to him, well... I must not be your boss because I gave you an instruction. You didn't do it, so that means I must not be your boss, therefore I'm not signing your paycheck. And the guy took him to court, and Otto actually won. The court upheld it. And then he relates that to the church. If you come in sitting week after week and aligning yourself with the church, saying that you're part of a church, 
that gives the leadership, because we have accountability to God, that gives us the right to hold up that word of life to you, to speak into your life, if necessary, to bring correction. And if you're not prepared to accept that, then it must mean I must not be your pastor. You must not be under my spiritual leadership. And so really for your own sake, because it says, don't let it be a burden for us, you need to go and find somewhere then where you will be prepared to allow people to speak into your life. Excuse me, sorry, so dry. So you've placed yourself in a discipleship environment. And I think we don't make any bones about saying that life house is a discipleship environment. If you've placed yourself in here, then just by implication, by the fact you're here, tells me that you want to grow and be challenged and changed. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? We don't want to end up sitting in the church for 40 years and looking the same as we did when we first came in, where nothing has really changed. The word says, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. For us, that joy, so that our works of joy is such a joy. That is the biggest rush you can get in ministry, to see people getting set free and to stepping up into their full, full potential. There is nothing that gives you a bigger rush than that. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? People here, because they love you, here to help you and minister to you. Not to, you know, sometimes when you hear parents come in at school and whatever, the, um, some of them it sounds like the teachers actually get together and sit and plot, how can we terrorize your kid today or what can we think of to make them unhappy? It's not like that, okay? We're here because we love you, we want to help you, and it's such a joy to see you step up and become all you can be. Now, we've had... Um, We've had a couple leave our church before in, in um, South Africa, and the excuse was you can't concentrate because the children, the teenagers, have got too much slogans and things written on their T-shirts. It's like, seriously, give me a break. I think I just woke up and crawled out of a stone yesterday. I mean, really, you know, it's just... But just remember, abundant life comes through freedom. Spiritual and emotional problems, which you might try and keep hidden for a time, but those things keep you from freedom and intimacy with God and others. And that's why I want to talk to you about emotions and inner healing. And I know that none of you will dispute the fact that the scripture clearly states that we triune beings. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is it then um, that when we have a physical wound or injury, we get it treated without even thinking about it, really? Yet we don't want to admit often to emotional and spiritual wounds when the Bible is very clear that two-thirds of us, two-thirds of us, okay, is soul and spirit, and yet we don't let the Holy Spirit into those areas. We're happy even to allow a stranger, total stranger, to clean a physical wound and bandage it. You go to hospital, get injured. You're happy to let a total stranger deal with it, even to stitch it where necessary. Reset a bone, maybe even sometimes re-break a bone that hasn't been properly set to reset it correctly. I was joking with some girls the other night about t some of the types of things that we prepare to undergo. Now, if I just look at them for any length of time, they'll start squirming because they're scared I'm going to call them up. See, Lorraine was there. She's laughing already. Do you want to share, Karen? No? <laughs> All right, but 
things we'll endure or go through to endure physical health, uh, to ensure physical health. Testicular cancer checks. Work that out for yourself, boys, what that entails. Prostate checks. Cervical cancer checks. Girls' breast cancer checks. I'll leave all the details to your imagination. But it never ceases to amaze me how often we pay by far much more attention to our physical part, our body, than to our souls and spirits. And don't get me wrong, it is important to look after your body. I'm going for a facial. I've got one booked after this just as my wind down from preaching. And I'm not in any way suggesting that you neglect your physical body. But I want you to think of your own life. Be honest in yourself. Think about your own life. And it's going to vary from person to person. But think about how much time and other resources that you've spent this past week on nourishing your soul and your spirit. Remember, you build physical muscle by resistance training and weight bearing. How much exercise have you given your will this week? Have you applied any resistance to your own will? Have you not done something you wanted to do because it's contrary to God's word? Have you maybe done something that you didn't want to do because it gave somebody else pleasure? Have you resisted to... Have you resisted the urge to gossip because it's enjo- even though it's enjoyable? Have you resisted the urge to allow criticism and negative tearing down words to come out of your mouth? How much exercise have you given your will this week? Have you disciplined your mind this week by memorizing a verse of scripture that you currently need to live by? If you're going through a difficult situation, who knows about those 2, 3 a.m. in the morning when the thoughts hit? Okay. Have you disciplined your mind this week? Have you found a scripture that's relevant to get you through that circumstance and learned it, memorized it, so that you've got that sword to pull out at two in the morning or three in the morning when those thoughts come as they usually do? Have you taken the time this week to purge yourself of undealt emotions and offenses, or have you just suppressed them and pushed them down? Now answer this question for yourself honestly. If I put just exactly the same amount of care and nourishment into my physical body as I put into my spirit and soul, what condition would I be in? Some people would be on life support. Okay? And I talk for myself at times as well. Everything that I can preach is from experience, okay? Your body's the one, the only part of you that's temporary. It's going to rot. It's going to stay here and rot when you move on. The deepest level of your being is your inner man. And because we live in a fallen, fallen world, sadly, we do sustain emotional and spiritual wounds throughout the course of our lives. And just as it would be ridiculous for me to suggest to you that you would get through life with no physical wounds or scrapes or bumps, it's equally ridiculous to think that you're going to not sustain emotional and spiritual wounds and damage. And so to put it simply and clearly as I can, That's what inner healing is. It's just the process whereby God heals the non-physical parts of us. Or to put it another way, inner healing is a ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit aimed at bringing healing to the whole person, spirit, body, mind, emotions, and will. It's healing to a person at the deepest level, which is the soul and the spirit. And you know what? I believe it's a deliberate, deliberate strategy of the enemy to keep people away from acknowledging the area of emotions and inner healing. And I'll tell you why. Because spiritual and emotional wounds equal strongholds, which is wrong thinking patterns. 
That equals inner vows where you decide I'm not going to ever let anyone do this to me or I'm going to do this to protect myself. And that results in sinful behaviors and responses. And that obviously equals sin. And sin is the only thing that can let Satan have access to your life. So can you see how important that is? If we don't acknowledge that, we'll continue on with our wrong thoughts, our wrong behavior patterns, which is sin. And that gives Satan access into our lives. And if he can get you to ignore or dismiss emotions as imagination, a load of rubbish. And that's what I grew up hearing my dad say. Oh, nerves or emotion, imagination, a load of rubbish doesn't exist. Well, that's fine because then you'll never be free and you'll be pretty much ineffective. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. That's exactly what he wants you to think. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This full life, this abundant life that Jesus died to give you only can come through freedom. And as I said earlier, gaining freedom is a step beyond salvation. And I think that's what I want you to really grasp hold of today. If you've been sitting and you haven't really changed much since the day you were saved, then you need to really examine and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, where you can grow and change. If you never acknowledge and deal with your spiritual and emotional problems, then it's going to keep you from freedom and intimacy with God and other people, affect every single relationship that you have. I was just thinking it's pretty much like Lazarus. This is a good example to show how ridiculous it is. So he's in the grave, in the cave, all bound up in the grave clothes because he's died. So picture that for a minute. Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And at that point, Lazarus had life, okay? That's like conversion. Now, he could sit in there and stay there, or he could walk out, he could hop out in his stinky grave clothes, keep them on, keep himself wrapped up tightly so he's hot and uncomfortable. He can't breathe properly. He won't be able to function properly, but he could still manage to live like that, and he's so stinky, it keeps everybody away as well. That's really how ridiculous it is, isn't it? That's conversion and staying there, not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. Just imagine what you think if you had a big sore, okay? Bleeding, pussing, full of dirt, and the doctor just covered it with a bandage. He didn't clean it, didn't apply any disinfectant or any antibacterial treatment. Even worse, the doctor said to you, keep the bandage on for the rest of your life, whether that be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Just keep it on. Do not try and open it or look at it or deal with it in any way. In fact, why don't you just ignore it? If you do that long enough, you'll eventually convince yourself that it doesn't exist. You'll even learn to live with the discomfort and pain. It'll become so familiar that you won't even know how it feels to live without it. You could even get so attached to it and used to it that you'll defend your right to keep your wound. You'll snarl at and attack anyone who tries to touch it. Does that sound far-fetched? Guess what? That's exactly the lie that Satan has fed millions of people, including Christians, about spiritual and emotional wounds, and that is how they are living. And I'm here to tell you, if any of you are living like that here, it's time to let the Holy Spirit rip that bandage right off. Believe me, the short-term pain is nothing compared to finally living in freedom. 
So what does the bandage on an emotional or spiritual wound look like? And again, speaking from experience, my own and what I've dealt with. And remember, the things I'm going to point out to you will not necessarily, in the person's mind, they don't take the form of conscious thoughts, okay? That's the whole thing of self-deception. You initially will be aware, and then you'll start deceiving, deceiving, lying to yourself, but you're not actually aware that you're thinking of thinking it. If you are and you still do, that's even worse, isn't it? But in fact, you don't often realize it, but your behavior and your reactions, which might just be dismissed as, oh, that's just him, that's normal for him, your behavior and reactions are screaming aloud to everybody else around you. They can see these things even if you can't. So this is the bandage I'm talking about, what it looks like, the bandage on an emotional or spiritual wound. One of the main ones is denial. Ignore, dismiss it as emotional nonsense, and the wound didn't, didn't, doesn't exist, it never was. You, don't, you didn't hurt me if I refused to acknowledge it. Let's just never even talk about it. We might, every time we have an incident, let's just maybe ignore each other for a few hours or days and act like it, as though it never happened. I call this the magic carpet syndrome. Whoa, look at magic carpet. We can sweep it all under here, and it didn't even happen. The next one is manipulation and control. It's my way or no way. And if you insist on trying to lift up my magic carpet, don't even try and air the issues or bring them out, I'll manipulate you into blaming yourself for the whole incident. I'll make you doubt yourself and think that you're making far too big a deal of the incident. I'll turn my bad behavior right back onto you. I don't understand what's happened. What did I do? Why is everyone rejecting me? You know what? It's your ungodly behavior that people reject, not you. Satan then keeps you right where he wants you, isolated and in bondage, because you are just, he will feed that idea that people are rejecting you when it's not you, and you'll stay isolated and in bondage, and no one will be able to get in to help you. Another one, you can't hurt me, pride. I'll first reject others by my obnoxious behavior so that they won't get close enough to even reject me. Self-sufficiency, this one is huge. We convince ourselves that we can deal with it on our own. That is number one, if you actually get to the point of acknowledging that there is an issue. And secondly, that the problem actually might be with me and not everybody around me. So I decide God and I will fix me together. Well, you know what? The problem with this is that God in his wisdom decided he was going to work most of the time through people. He chose to do that. And yes, there are times when there might be an issue that is between you and God, but most times he places people in your life to help you. I want to share some points on emotion that um, I got from Otto's teachings, as well as some illustrations. Expressing your emotions in a godly way helps you to build meaningful relationships. What message were you given, either directly or indirectly? What message were you given about your emotions when you were growing up? What were you taught to do with them? Lots of people are taught to suppress them, to push them down, to hide them. We've all heard comments such as, now behave yourself and be a, big, be a good girl. As if crying makes you not a good girl, right? Well, then I'm a very bad girl, so I cry a lot. Or boys don't cry. Stupid, stupid statements. Okay, stupid statements. 
I was brought up to, to view certain emotions as a sign of weakness. And, you know, I had pushed them down so tight and so far that when I got married and David would take me to some of the most scenic places on the earth in Cape Town, it meant nothing to me. I could look at it, yeah, it looks nice. It did not move me in any way. Now it does because God has brought stuff up. But it seems that in most cultures, people are taught, whether it be directly or indirectly, to negate their emotions, to stuff them down, to not acknowledge them. And that almost appears to be a worldwide teaching, if you like. But what scripture would you say this teaching or this way of operating is based on? Anyone want to have a go? Is there scripture? There's no scriptural basis for it. So where then did this teaching or this way of operating come from? Satan behind it, okay? As I said, it's to his advantage to get you to operate that way because you'll never walk in freedom and then you're not ever going to be a threat to his kingdom. And you've got to remember, he puts things in at a very early age and they're like landmines and he can trigger them 30, 40, 50 years later. Okay, he's very patient, that's what he does. And so if you don't deal with those issues, if you don't acknowledge them, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to do healing, he can trigger those at any point, okay? And something will happen here that you would not believe is related to something that happened when you were three or four. But that's how it works, all right? And so if you don't allow the Holy Spirit in, he knows exactly which buttons to push. He'll wait. He can wait 20, 30, 40 years and trigger something then. Would you say that we have some good emotions and some bad emotions? Are some good and some bad? Talk, talk to me. Yep, okay, so which ones would you think are bad maybe? Come on, got to have a reason. Okay, it's all right. All right, do you think things like jealousy and anger and stuff maybe are bad emotions? Okay, I've got two reactions, some saying yes, some shaking their heads. Okay, well, let's go on and see. Does God have emotions, do you think? Did Jesus? Do you think God had a full range of emotions? Does he hate? Does God hate? Does he get jealous? Does he get angry? Right, so if we look at a few scriptures, Exodus 4.14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. There were so many, but I just took one or two from each. Mark 3, this is Jesus. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Psalm 5, the arrogant stand in your presence. You hate all those who do wrong. Ecclesiastic 3.8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Exodus 20, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34.14, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So you'd agree that God and you did already has all the range of emotions. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So emotions come from God. Emotions are good. Okay, everything that comes from God is good. All emotions are good. They come from God because God is good. Emotions are given by God as responders to each other. 
Imagine um, when Lena came and told me if she was pregnant. Imagine I said, oh, okay, that's nice, Lena. How's she going to feel? Thanks for sharing my excitement with me. Okay. Imagine if David came to me and um, I said, oh, on our wedding day, oh, I really love you, David. So, yeah, just, you know, no emotion. I've even heard people, and I actually probably tend to agree with this, how many people have you heard that I just wish, like, for a woman, he would argue back a little bit, there would be even a little bit of passion, not just this mm, passivity, okay? So emotions help us to respond to each other and to God and to the circumstances around us. Emotions bring life. As I said, you saw the difference. If you take the emotion out of a relationship, it becomes dead. It's lifeless. Emotions are not sinful. They're good and they're from God. But, okay, it's what we choose to do with the emotions that we feel. It's our response to the emotion that determines whether or not you step into sin. So it's not the actual emotion. It's your reaction or your response to what you're feeling. And you really need to be clear on that distinction. Emotion versus our responses that result. Because let me tell you as well, Satan, and it's not just Satan, I'm not blaming him for everything. He just energizes and he's an opportunist. He'll jump on the bandwagon. But you need to know this yourself. You might spend your whole life like a dog chasing its tail where you decide, oh, I've got to deal with my anger. I've got to get over anger. So you spend all your energy all your efforts for years and years trying to control your anger, trying to make your anger go away, trying to manage circumstances and people around you so that they won't make you angry. Okay, no one makes you angry, but you could spend your whole life, all your energy on trying to make this emotion of anger go away. You know what? It's not going anywhere because God gave it to you. You need to rather spend your energies on working on your own self-control and your reactions and your flesh, right? Do you see how important it is to understand that? You know, when the kids say to me at school, um, oh, it's not my fault, he made me laugh. I'm like, well, did he stick his hand down your throat and pull your vocal cords? Because if he didn't do that, he didn't make you laugh, okay? That's a very extreme, but that's what I say. But no one makes you angry, okay? No one makes you jealous. It's your sinful response, and you need to spend your time on getting into the Word, working on the fruit of growing the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Right, but what does the Bible say that we've got to do with our emotions? Because clearly we do have them, and it does generate feeling in us, okay, which often is what, you know, results in our response. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, this passage is familiar, more familiar to some maybe than others. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. As I mentioned, it's not being angry, having the emotion of anger that's wrong. It's what you do with it, how you process it. How long do you hold on to it for? Do you let it simmer and bubble away and fester in you for a few days? The scripture's clear, do not let the sun go down on your anger. God is telling you right there that you are not entitled to hold on to it even overnight. Have you ever really read that and thought about that? Okay, you are to process it as quickly as possible and move on. And the next um, part of that verse tells you why. Do not give the devil a foothold. 
And remember what I said earlier, if you hold on to your anger, you are giving Satan an opening into your life. Undealt with emotion that's just sitting inside of you, not just anger, any undealt emotion is tasty, it's like tasty rat food and demons are attracted to it. You give them access. And that's what I said to you earlier. The only way he can have access to your life is through your sin. And if you are violating the scripture where it says do not hold on to it, you're giving access. Think of it like this anger. Emotions like anger have got a shelf life. God said do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I'm figuring that since you can't stop the sun from going down, it has to mean let the anger go, right? It's like manna in the wilderness. I need to be kept for that day, and then it goes rotten. And that's what happens to emotions that you keep into the, in the basement, emotions that you stuff down and don't deal with. They rot inside you, and then the devil has a foothold in your life. And whether you care to admit it or not, that's what happens when you don't express your emotions in a godly way, but you just keep stuffing them down. All right, so clearly we have a problem, right, because we need to express them. So how do we express them in a godly way? Listen to Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Anxiety is an emotion. How do you process it? What does it say? Do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And then it goes on to say, and then the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, okay, will flood your hearts and minds. But it's not go to that first. It's follow what the scripture says. This is how you process it. You have got to hand it over, bring it in prayer. And then the peace comes, okay? So you, it requires training, disciplining yourself, taking your thoughts captive. And I find sometimes that a physical act helps me to apply spiritual principles. And so girls, I've brought the box for you to meet that you've heard about. The girls have heard about this box, so I've just got a nice gift box for the podcast people, and this is called my Unreasonable Bee Box. Okay, I don't think it's good for me to say what the B stands for here, but you can decide if it's a boy I'm dealing with, it's the Unreasonable Bee Box. If it's a girl I'm dealing with, it might be the Unreasonable Bee Box. But once I'm over my venting, it might just be my take it to the Lord box which is probably better, hey? Right, but, um, you know, sometimes that's what I do. I find that that thing of taking my mind off, handing it over to God, helps me to write it out and to vent. And then it's like to, to spiritually hand it over, it helps me to emotionally hand it over. I'll just put their name and the situation of the day on a post-it and stick it in and it's like, your problem now, God, you deal with it. Okay, so sometimes things like that actually help. Um, and that's casting it on the Lord. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, in that scripture, there's clear direction on what you do with your emotion. Hand it over. Cast it on him. Do not hold on to it. Cast all your anxiety on him. Again, the warning that comes, if you don't process it, if you don't hand it over, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking uh, like a roaring lion, sorry, looking for someone to devour. You will give an opening, you'll get access. Can you see how Satan can get that access into your life? It's because you'll hold on to the anxiety and you're acting then against what the word of God tells you to do. Okay, you're not trusting God and so you're sinning. 
and sin's the only way that he gains that foothold into your life. Requires the fruit of self-control, as I said earlier. It requires taking your thoughts captive. And even though it's hard, you're commanded to do it. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's too hard. It's not an acceptable excuse. And can I just say to parents of young children, train your children in these, these ways, these strategies. I had a little boy at school, a um, lot of anger issues, and mum and dad just wouldn't accept and had never seen him blow up. And at school, when it was no, it was no. And he used to go nuts. But when I had meetings with him, it turned out that, oh, they know he has this tendency, but when they can see something's going to set him off or he's getting a bit worked out, we'll just distract him. You know what? That's not helping. Because if you do that, you are not allowing them to experience the frustration and the anger and then be able to teach them what to do with that. So if you just keep avoiding, oh, let's move him off that before he gets upset or angry, they don't ever learn what to do with that emotion, how to process it. This mum had to admit that she has to run out of the office when she feels herself getting worked out. That's not acceptable when you grow up to say to your boss, sorry, hang on, I can't handle what you're saying, I have to run out now. You need to let your children have it and teach them the godly way to respond with that. Fits of rage, screaming, you need to train them what to do with that frustration, whether it be right, when you're feeling like that, just go and have a run around the garden or go and sit quietly in your room and read about whatever works for your child, but just trying to move them off that and not getting to that point does not help them. You're not teaching them strategies on how to cope, all right? Now, um, casting your cares on him. It says cast your cares on him. What does that look like? I'm going to show you an illustration here. And for the, for the people of the podcast, I'm going to get Anna to take a cup that's full of water and run to the back of the room and back up as fast as she can without spilling a drop. Without spilling a drop. Come on. Well, I asked you before if you're willing to do it. Do I ever say anything I don't mean? Okay. All right, no spilling as fast as you can to the back and back. We're timing you without spilling it. Go. Don't spill. Oh, Anna. Don't spill it. If you need to slow down, concentrate. Right, now tip it in here. Right, now go again. Fast as you can. Okay, did you find any difference? Yes, definitely. What? Tell us. Well, the second time you can just use your whole body to go and run it just easier. So. All right, so Anna will be never agreeing to do anything for me again. But that cup of water is like your emotions. If you let it build up and up and up and get full, did she function as well running her race with that full cup, trying not to spill it? No. Okay, you're a bit tenser, you've got to watch, you've got to concentrate on keeping that in the cup, keeping it all down. Okay, she couldn't run as free and easy and fast. Okay, she's really messed it up now, she's got to go. <laughs> all right, and then when that was tipped out, so that is casting your cares, getting the emotions up, putting it onto the Lord. What a difference it made, able to run the race fully, as she said, engage her whole body not have to concentrate on keeping these emotions in the cup, okay? Big difference. 
Now, you've got to not let them build up, okay? Um, listen to this. So that, for me, that was another um, physical example, practical example of a spiritual principle. Letting the emotions build up. Your cup is full. You have to focus your energies and your attention on dealing with that, not on running the race fully and being everything you're called to be. Listen to Lamentations 2.19, and this is what I did when I poured this water out into there to make it easier for Anna. We emptied the emotions out. This is how you cast your cares on him. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. That's what casting your cares on him looks like. You try that for yourself at home. As I said, you need to adhere to a shelf life, a day with certain emotions. And I say certain because obviously joy and stuff, I don't mind if you hold on to that longer. But a day with certain emotions, okay? Pour them out. That means deal with them. Empty your emotional cup to the Lord daily if you need to. Do not let it build up. I'm going to give you another example here. And I learned my lesson, Paul, the last time from the coffee, so I have a basin. So for podcast people, I've got, again, another empty glass, and I've got a jug of water. This is what happens in a day, okay? This is you. Uh, my alarm clock didn't go off this morning, woke up late, bad start, got frustrated and angry at the stupid clock, and I even threw it against the wall, maybe. Uh, Running late already, get into the shower. Kellen and David have used all the hot water. Get into my car, stupid car won't start. Battery's flat. Because I'm late, go down the road, big traffic jam, now I'm going to be even late, I'm sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. So that might be what happens in a day, okay? Right? I need to pour that out daily before I get to the top. If I don't pour it out daily, what's going to happen? Get home tonight, the dinner's burnt. Something else happens during that. Tomorrow something happens. Go to work, something else. Oh, somebody just says something to me. Poor person gets their head bitten right off. They don't even know what they did. My reaction totally out of proportion to the event or what was said. Okay, this is what happens if you do not pour out your emotions before the Lord. It's just going to overflow. And you know what that overflow is? Damage to your relationships. That's what it does. That overflow harms your relationships always. Might be anger, violence, things said. But that bad behavior erupts. And you know what as well? You're keeping all that emotion in there. No space for God's mercy. What does the Bible say? His mercy is on you every morning. He'll give you enough grace that you need for that day. But you can't put it in there if your cup's full. All right? You've got to empty out every day. His mercy is on you every morning. Tomorrow there's place for him to give you the grace that you need for the day to pour in his mercy. All right. So are your responses... Are your emotional responses, are they bringing death or life to your relationships? Emotions are like manna, meant to be used for the occasion and kept only for the day. Excellent, excellent scriptural examples of this pouring out your emotions to God and then allowing him to refill you. Lamentations um, 
chapter 3. I haven't got time to read it, but read it. You will see the first 18 verses is just a pouring out to the Lord. All the frustrations, all the hurts, all the angers, and then it switches from verse 19. And I think if I remember correctly, that verse that it switches on, but your mercies all, because I know this, I will have hope. And your mercies are new every morning. There's that switch. And so all the pouring out took place, and then the switch takes place, and the infilling comes. God refills you. The same as Psalm, Psalm 69. You see David going through the same process, and lots of the Psalms he does as well, but Psalm 69, crying out, releases his anger, then he receives healing. You know what? It's perfectly permissible to pour out your angers, your hurts, and your frustrations, your cries for revenge even. It's permissible to pour them out before the Lord. Remember Lamentations 2.19 tells us, it says, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. God knows what you're feeling. He knows the frustrations. He knows the disappointments. He knows the hurts. He knows even that feeling of where you want revenge, where it's not right. You can pour it out to him. It's not going to be a surprise to him. You are not sinning when you do that, okay? But it's where you choose to do that with other people instead of going to him. That's where you're in danger of stepping into sin. Because you might end up judging. You'll definitely be gossiping about the person and tearing them down. But cry out to God, okay? I usually start by asking him to smite them. And then once I get it all out, then I'll come back round to praying for them. Read Psalms. King David's worse than I am. You should see the things that he says, poke their eyes out, do all sorts of things to them, okay? And I believe God included Psalms in the Bible for a reason, to give us that model and show us that this is what we can do. Listen to this in Psalm 69, verse 28, when David pours out his emotions to God, this is what he says. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. To me, in my modern day speak, that's equivalent to saying, may they burn in hell, right? So he's saying to God, if it was left up to me, this is where I'd be going with this. This is what I would do with them. Although he's hurt and venting, though, he's speaking to God, and he will come round to submitting to being done God's way. So there's no sin. Satan can't grab those words. And I found it works. I've moved from naming my little pink book, the Burn and Destroy book, to Carolyn's Psalms, okay? Now, when I called it the Burn and Destroy book, it was no pun intended. It was like, girls, if I die, one of you have got to get hold of this book and burn and destroy it before anyone reads it. But then when I was writing, I thought, hmm, it could have a double meaning, burn and destroy. Burn and destroy them. But I hurt him. But now I've changed it to call it Carolyn Psalms. And that's what I do, just vent it all out to the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, this is my heart at the moment. This is what I want to do. But by pouring out my emotion through these words, I hand it over to you. You might speak it aloud to him. Some people might scream in the room or you might punch a pillow. I've even told someone to punch a pillow. And that's all right. You might do a combination of both or different things. You might go and punch a punching bag and talk to the Lord while you're doing it. Whatever works for you, that's all right. But if you keep it inside you, you hold on to offense and you believe and, and don't deal with that and you hold on to it, then that is the devil's playground. All right? Remember that slide that I showed you earlier. Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 23 from the message. But that's no life for you. Stace, can you throw that slide up again, please? All right, so 
That's no life for you. You don't want to be sitting even one year after your conversion the same as you were, certainly not 10, 15, 20, 30 years. The message puts it this way. That's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid, and this is Paul speaking, my assumption is you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life, has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take, then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Thanks, Stace, that can go off. If you're carrying around internal damage which needs to be dealt with, then I'm telling you, ignoring it is no longer an option. Refusing to acknowledge and deal with your spiritual wounds allows them over the years to seep poison into you, and it can affect you physically. There will be so many people who do not realize how many of their physical problems are caused by spiritual wounds and sicknesses. And I'm not in any way saying all physical problems. I'm not saying that at all, so don't grab onto that and say that's what I'm saying. But your spiritual and your soul, if you've got wounds and damage you're not dealing with, it will affect every area of your life. And you know, um, some of the reactions, and I have them myself, and I've dealt with them and heard other people as well. I might say, no, I'm over a situation, I've dealt with it, but I've got two ways of speaking about that situation. Either I get really breathless when I talk, and fighting the tears, the voice is a bit teary, and I get a bit breathless, or it's the opposite, totally deadpan. Stony, just boom, 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 factual. Those two are big telltale signs of undealt with emotion, I can tell you that right now. And another one, and um, David often finds this when, you know, he talks to, sometimes you talk to men, and it's, How's your heart going? They skip straight over that to telling him what they're doing, what they're doing with their ministry. Okay? Galatians 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let the Holy Spirit rip those bandages right off.